Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we are your co-hosts. So today, I'm going to be covering a wonderful little herb that was at one point historically called the witch's herb, yarrow. Very cool. The witch's herb. I know. So uh, in the spirit of Leo season and shape-shifting, I am going to be talking about beauty magic and Loki. Yeah, I'm so stoked. I love that this ended up kind of accidentally theming around like shape-shifting because that feels so Leo to me. It does feel very Leo. Leo, Well, because Leos are very good at shape-shifting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, because it's kind of that thing where it's like they're always going to be the center of attention and therefore they can shapeshift, basically. So when they walk into the room, all eyes are going to be on them, regardless of what room they're walking into. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's such a beautiful quality and so cool and like definitely not something that I feel like I am strong at. So I'm, I'm really excited about our episode today. Definitely, definitely. And so timely so timely like peak leo season like let's let's kind of dive into it so like i kind of want to do a combo of like leo season proudly strutting into the room and like loki's renowned as a shapeshifter so i thought it would be a really cool idea if we headed down to the nail salon like just you me and the girlies and we talk about beauty magic for today's like magical focus so uh, but before I dive into that, I did want to get a little personal about it. Uh, just, you know, kind of before we go into all the the cool things. Um, so I would say, like, as a double fire sign, ironically, with zero Leo placements, um, I have an empty house in Leo. So um, I do often find myself thinking about things that my Virgo rising scoffs at as like vain or like self-serving, like being fussy about how my hair looks or like what outfit I'm going to wear to a specific event, but like weeks in advance, you know? So I sort of chastise myself a little bit for being self-involved, but on the other hand, like it does make me feel good to look good. And if it were one of my friends like I would be gassing them up and I would be like clapping at the end of every look while you did your like runway show of different outfits like you know I support these endeavors even though there's like that little voice in my head that like tells me that it's it's vanity and is uh you know not productive I feel like that's such like a protestant message though too is like god forbid you enjoy yourself and like Speaking of Leo placements, I don't know if people will remember this, but we've like covered it a little bit. I actually have my Mercury, Jupiter and Venus are all in Leo. So I always I feel like I vibe real hard in Leo season because it's not my sun sign. But I feel like having Leo in like your Venus house is like it feels very right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I would I would say like like Leo even though they're represented by the sun, which, you yeah. know, they always get such a big head about it. I feel like Leo does have, like, very Venusian energy. Like it they does. Lo- they love aesthetics. Yeah, yeah. So I love, I mean, I love Leo season, and I've always felt 
a good tie to them. Also, because if you're someone who does work with cuspers, I am on that like cusp period between Leo and Virgo. And of course, my mother is a Leo. So there's always the whole the sign of your mother and how that plays into your chart thing. But I'm, I'm totally here for you getting all pretty getting sassy. I mean, you and I used to always do like face masks and stuff before mm. nights out. So I feel like yes. we were in that vibe, like indulging, getting beautiful, mm-hmm. which you might not expect, I guess, if you don't know us like super well. But yeah, no, we love the glamour. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say like if you met us both professionally, you'd be like, these people are straight shooters and like yeah. very earthy, practical people. But I do. I love a face mask. I love a manicure. Yeah. Uh, Yes. I think I think it's healthy. I think it's therapeutic, like to take the time to focus on your appearance and improving it as long as it's not like obsessive or unnecessarily self-deprecating, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I again I think it's like just shifting out of that very like American Protestant mindset that's everybody should be modest no matter what. It's like it's okay to make yourself feel good and like feel hot, you know? And that's that's not a bad thing. Like it's, it's, not, it, it's great. It's not. It's a good thing as Martha yeah. would say. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Uh, so moving on uh, in my own practice and as a gay man and as a witch, I do like to think about the intention of the space and the intention of the spell I'm working with to create like a certain aesthetic. Uh, so for starters, like dabbling in beauty magic, I personally think that having like Aphrodite and Venusian vibes either in your ritual space or at your altar is really a must for any magic involving hands right in (laughs) if we're if we're talking beauty magic it's got to be aphrodite it's got to be venus 100 i'm going to talk about it a little later on but aphrodite and venus are are fussy bitches so you know uh you know proceed with caution yeah yeah is kind of what I'm going to say here. You got to woo. Mm. You got to woo certain deities. You got to woo them. So, but like, what do I mean by an Aphrodite or a Venusian vibe? You might be asking yourself. And since you ask so nicely, I'm going to tell you. So uh, I've specifically decided to focus on like Venusian as a theme for my bathroom like just as a baseline to bring a little magical boost to my personal regimen of like skin and hair upkeep. So I have some of those lovely pink and purple scallop shells around my vanity that I did forage myself before I knew better, uh, which is a very huge Venus slash Aphrodite vibe. And I'm I'm kind of using Venus and Aphrodite interchangeably. I, I think yeah. the pur- purposes we're talking about, uh, they are interchangeable. So you know, come at me, Roman history nerds. Uh, yeah, and I'd I'd humbly add to, I know you're like going into more lists, but I would say that anything by Georgia O'Keeffe would oh, fit this. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, so, but no, it's like, I've, I've got the seashells, which have that pink and purple, sort of a labia color. Yeah, bringing in the O'Keefe vibes, man. Which is also like a huge Venus and Aphrodite vibe. So like, think of like the Venus de Milo on the on the scallop shell rising out of the sea. You know, it's uh, but so I do also have this art 
that is not specifically Venusian or related to Aphrodite, but it's uh, these like baby angel cherubs floating on clouds, which I feel very much has a Venus vibe. Oh yeah, no, I feel that because I feel like I could almost imagine Venus on the cloud. Right. Uh, and, but it also kind of reminds me of the cover of Teenage Dream by Katy Perry, like the way one of them is like, laying on their stomach with like a dreamy look in their eye you mean the cotton candy scented cd yes which was pink yeah and that to me is a huge venus and aphrodite vibe right i just loved that that was a the cd itself was scented for anyone who didn't own it we're (laughs) like we're not kidding like literally the cd itself smelled like cotton candy uh, and and the scent lasted a long time, which I, you know, kudos uh, to them. A suspiciously long time. <laughs> uh, but I do, I also have like a red and white floral print shower curtain, which isn't exactly keeping with a Venusian color scheme, but red and white mixed together makes what? Pink? You know. Pink. Yeah, no, I feel like your, I feel like florals in general, even if they're not in that exact color, like florals are very Venusian, Aphrodite-esque, like energy. Very much the same. And I also have, uh, I have this shadow box where, um, you know, if anything still looks kind of good when I'm ready to throw fresh flowers out, um, I put it in the little shadow box to dry out. So I have this whole collection, you know, like, uh, the like red and gold flowers I got for Thanksgiving 2015. Um, just, you know, like some flowers from various bouquets that various men have bought me. Um, so, you know, flowers. Yes, very much so. Uh, anywho, so... All of this to say, I that I feel like invoking like Venusian and Aphrodite energy in this way, aesthetics are a Venus thing, sort of makes my mundane beauty routine of just like brushing my hair and brushing my teeth and like moisturizing a little a little magical. Mm, yeah. So that's kind of like my baseline. That's where I'm starting with like magical beauty is like I have a little bit of Venus and Aphrodite energy in my space where I do these things and that's sort of a small spell in and of itself. Um, But I I would also say if you simply want to make an altar arrangement and do some of the spells that I'm talking about later on, that's also fine. So I kind of wanted to dig into that a little bit. So I would say when petitioning Aphrodite who came from the sea on a scallop shell fully grown and beautiful and nude. Remember that she's nude at the end of the episode, by the way. <laughs> um, I, I, I think it's good to think about like vulva-y things. So you were talking like Georgia O'Keeffe. I'm talking like the little pink and purple seashells, uh, ethically sourced, of course. Uh, but also like anything pink. So like your pink, salt rocks your your rose quartzes your rose petals uh pink myrtle flowers are a traditional offering to aphrodite and wouldn't you know that almost every apartment complex has pink crepe myrtle growing oh yeah in it and that would be very easy for a lot of people to get um 
I also think pink peonies have like a yonic quality. Oh you know, yeah. The way they're yeah. kind of like tightly wrapped in, in on themselves is very um clitoral. I love that. And you know, if if we're talking about like things that have that vibe that maybe aren't colored if you're someone that has like a very black and white aesthetic anything I think by Robert Mablethorpe also his photography like because some of it's very erotic but then he also Mm. does these beautiful black and white photos of like orchids and stuff so orchids are such pussy flowers right such pussy flowers just throwing in an option for people that maybe aren't into the actual pink Right, right, right. And yeah. I know I know that's not everyone's thing, but it's Aphrodite's thing. It doesn't have to be your thing. It's Aphrodite's thing. That's fair. That's thing, fair. So. And we're very much a more is more people anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> um so I but I was also thinking like pink like fruits, you know, like pink lady apples, pomegranates, which A are said to be an aphrodisiac in and of themselves, but also are a traditional offering to Aphrodite. Yeah. You know, on the fruit side too, I would also like think figs. Figs are nice. You know, figs, uh, some figs have that kind of coppery color too. Like I've got some downstairs that have a really pretty like purple quality and they are like such a sensual fruit. Yes. And you know, it's like, can you imagine just like laying back on your like chaise lounge, like eating a fig, like, you are Venus in that moment. Like, you are Aphrodite. 100%. Yes. Um, I'm sorry. Like, there's no other, there's no other explanation. Um, yeah. But I, kind of circling back around, like, you can think about coppery things and gold things when you're setting up an, an altar to Aphrodite, because frankly, the bitch loves jewelry. Uh, yeah so yeah. so something that's interesting you know kind of like a little bit of the backstory of aphrodite was that aphrodite was married off quite early on to the god of smithing uh because zeus was very concerned that all the other gods would fight over her which ended up kind of happening anyway uh but married to the god of smithing and he made her beautiful jewelry and crowns and girdles and so the bitch loves and that was like the only way he could keep her happy because she did not want to get married off so i mean same though right who is not kept happy by beautiful jewelry (laughs) yeah like really like who can blame her is is kind of kind of the vibe there uh but i think we can also think here about like incense offerings because we really want specific smells when we are trying to impress the beauty queen of Mount Olympus. So we're specifically thinking rose, fucking duh, right? Um, sweet amber. I, I think sweet amber is a little strong, but I think if you're trying to do this kind of work, you get the incense that it calls for. Yeah. And I mean, it's like <laughs> strong makes sense here you're calling in big energy big energy so a cedar is one that i i found a little unexpected uh did you know that aphrodite has very strong ties to cyprus the country yeah i love that because i do have um i have a cedar chest that i use as my uh altar and i do love that tie and uh i i would say expensive non-magical perfume uh, so, you know, maybe if you inherited 
a bottle of white diamonds from one of your older lady relatives. And people, when, when the old lady is in your life die, you know, I, I, I think there, there's a certain idea that it might be gauche to go through their things. Um, but, you know, I, I even talked to my mom about it. I was like, I'd love a few of these old perfume bottles once y'all do sell the house when my mama died. And that's like, you know, it's, uh, it was something that was important to her. And I'm sure she wouldn't mind if I had it. Totally not. And I, I love that suggestion. And on, on the perfume front, uh, I have a bottle of Cartier's carrot perfume, which is spelled C-A-R-A-T, like a diamond carrot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like the bottle there. Because I think for these things, too, it's like even just the bottles, because they still have that essence. And they're mm, yes. gorgeous. Old, old perfume bottles have yeah. big Aphrodite energy. Totally. And so, hand mirrors. Oh, what we're, we're going to be talking about hand mirrors in a minute. Oh, so just, yay. I'm excited. So just hold your fucking horses, okay? <laughs> I'm stoked. Uh, but I, I was thinking, you know, like Chanel number no. five. Really, like, get your expensive perfume out. Put a little spritz on your altar, like, for Aphrodite. I yeah. Think, I think these would, would all be good options. You know, like, fucking some fucking Clinique or some Oil of Olay. Like, some old lady shit. Yeah. Some expensive shit. Like. Mm. Gilded everything. Mm-hmm. Beautiful floral scents. Like, sexy imagery. Yeah. I'm feeling it. It's a vibe. Right, right, right. So, uh, one very nice altar offering I saw for this kind of work as well, kind of moving on from scents here, uh, was a simple copper bowl, a little guy. You can find those at antique stores. I mean, it was probably an ashtray at one point in its life, but a little copper bowl. You yeah, can clean I mean, it out. There was like there were like eight dollar copper bowls when I was at the metaphysical shop today too. So I think they're pretty easy to locate. Yeah, you can fucking find one. All right, and they're not expensive, but uh, that's right. We're yelling at you now. Yeah, listeners. we're fucking. Yeah, listen, listen, <laughs> listen here, you you little shit. Uh, no, but um, kind of refilling it with pink myrtle because you have pink myrtle in your apartment complex. Probably. Uh, or your replacement flower of choice. Um, I know, you know, like a lot of stuff is in season here in late summer. I I even think a magnolia would look nice, like a single magnolia. Yeah, I also love the idea of thinking about something like a morning glory because mm-hmm. they only last for a day. So like collecting fresh morning glories every morning to put in and replacing them the next day could be such a beautiful like meditation on that offering. Yes, well, and you you need to change them out when the flowers get sad and wonky looking. Like this is not a one and done. Yeah, know? yeah. So kind of the idea... And, and and again, you know, like I was saying, a thing to keep in mind with these goddesses that, is that you really have no choice but to shower them with gifts. So, like, their place in the world of the gods is one where they are admired and showered with gifts and luxuries. So you better come correct on the gift front if you intend to petition Aphrodite during beauty magic. So, uh, but with that in mind... I had a few ideas for beauty magic that you can do at your 
Aphrodite themed altar. Uh, and when you have that ready, I, I would say you would maintain this over a whole moon cycle, starting with the Nui, of course. Um, so, yeah. And I might say if you have the time to maybe just keep the altar up for a moon, like for a full lunar no, cycle before that's... you start the spell. Oh, love that. Do that. Yeah, that way you're like showering them with gifts before you ask for something. And then you can like yes. get really into the flow of doing it daily too, like practice. Yes, yes, yes. I, I love this idea. I'm adding it. Yes, do it. Uh, so, <laughs> but we're, we're charging, we're kind of charging these items for a whole moon cycle. Uh, so to start with, we have the magic mirror spell which I absolutely love, but I've tweaked it a bit. I did write my own incantation and kind of change the, the format uh, of how to do the incantation because y'all know I love a handwritten note. Uh, so On brand. On brand. So for this one, you're going to want to go thrifting or antiquing for an old school hand mirror. So I'm imagining like a patinated pewter one or a silver one, but like something elegant, something old school. You know, you do not have to spend a lot of money on this, but I would say, you know, don't just go to the dollar store no. and get and get the 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 plastic hand mirror that's square. You know? I love all the old ones that are like gilded and have like the beautiful pictures of like like fancy ladies on the back of them. Yes, like yeah. That's exactly the kind of thing. And, and those, those like pictures of fancy ladies very much have like the same vibe as like my little cherub, my little cherub yes. art in my bathroom. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but elegant old school, you know, if there's a curly cue or two, you're going to be fine. Um, so you are going to charge your mirror at your altar and taking it outside during the full moon and placing it face up, hopefully in a way that it reflects the moon. Uh, so think about thinking about it as trapping a bit of the moonlight. Uh, and we're going to use that moonlight later on. Uh, so for this, I also have a rewritten the incantation because frankly, I liked the magic mirror spell that I found on Pinterest. And so sorry if whoever made that is listening right now, but I didn't like the incantation so much. Um, it was kind of like a, a play on the Snow White, like mirror, mirror on the wall. Um, eh, you did better. <laughs> I think I, I, I think I did. Uh, but also we're going to be pairing this with the Empress tarot card. So I keep telling y'all to get a deck that you use for rituals and not for readings. And this is also the time to use it. Uh, so we're using the Empress Tarot card, uh, and we're going to have our incantation and the Empress Tarot card, and you can burn a pink candle over these things as many times as you can squeeze in during the moon cycle. So basically what I want you to think about doing is burning a pink candle. Shannon, uh, of course, always recommends having some colored birthday candles. Yep, and pink are really easy to find. Pink are very easy to find. So... Um, you don't have to burn like a whole taper candle, but every time you're changing out your altar offerings, burning a fresh pink candle over your incantation and also over the Empress tarot card, you know, the, 
the empress kind of representing this like very regal beauty uh that's kind of what we want to channel um so the incantation is uh aphrodite fair who rose from the sea bless this mirror before me that i and all who see me might gaze upon glorious unmasked beauty I make these offerings in thy name and place my looking glass beneath the moon that I might capture a fraction of her eternal radiance. So mote it be. Just all the snaps, all the snaps. Like I'm so here for this incantation. I want it like tattooed on me. It's, it's quite nice. Um, it's and so good. You killed it. I really felt the, the Venus energy today. If I'm being honest. Uh, um, yeah. And so when you're done, you have a magic mirror. And what could be more important to beauty magic than having a magic mirror? But it's important to use it. So we have create we have enchanted this mirror, right? Now you have to use it. So um use it to brush your hair or apply your mascara, but like make sure it's something you do regularly. So it doesn't get neglected, you know, like this is not your eyebrow mirror because I'll tell you, yeah. I do my, I do my eyebrows, but I do my eyebrows like once a month. That's just not going to fucking cut it. Okay. This is going to be yeah. something you want to do <laughs> as close to every day as possible. Well, and I love if you're using it when you're getting ready, if you are a person who wears perfume, giving mm-hmm. your mirror, maybe a little spritz as you give yourself one. Yes. Your, your little Aphrodite mirror. Yeah. And I I also feel, uh, unlike the original magic mirror spell, that you could just keep this one going, kind of keep using it. Maybe you could charge it up. You know, like you could, I, I feel like this would be a good thing to charge up on your altar around Beltane every year if yeah. you were going to keep, if you were going to keep using it. Um, but I so- like the idea of this being like a magical tool, kind of like my little cauldron, you know, yes. it's like. It becomes something that is just a tool that you take care of and you do all the magical upkeep that goes into your magical tools. Like hopefully you're doing with everything else you use in your spellcraft. Yes. And so I I feel like you could just keep it going, but uh, I think you would be able to stop once you feel you've had the full effect. And, you know, these, these magic mirror spells are pretty powerful. Um, And also invoking Aphrodite is pretty powerful. So I would say, Invoking Aphrodite to do a magic mirror spell, I think you're going to see some results from this one. Uh, let me know. Let me know. Let me know if it works for you. I would love to hear if someone does this because uh, I'm planning on doing it. But it is what it's almost the full moon right yeah, now. Yeah, we're coming up on a. We're full coming moon. up on. Well, I mean, it was just the new moon, so it's like. What you know? Yeah, what a- like a like a week ago. That's the thing about the lunar cycle, right? It was like four or five days ago, but it's like the lunar cycle is only like twenty eight days. So right, right, right. So you I know, know, and it just always feels so short. <laughs> but anyway, anyway. Uh, and speaking of using the power of the moon, that's my awkward segue into my next hot magic beauty tip. Uh, I also wanted to recommend a way to harness the power of the sun for beauty magic as well. So basically, the idea is like a combo of rose water and sun tea. 
which I'm always telling people to make sun tea. Like that's also like very much my brand right now. Uh, but so make rose water as sun tea, like use the sun as your heat source, especially in like Texas where you're going to get some good heat out of that. But then, you know, strain it and put it in a little spray bottle and give your face a little spritz. Oh, love that. And also, it's like uh, rose water spritz is one of my favorite things. Like, oh my God, like just a little, Mm, you know, just like, and then you just like let it just, just like over your face. Like, but it's nice because rose water is great for your skin and that's scientifically proven. But I think getting the sun involved sort of increases that magical aspect and captures some of that like solar radiance that Leo season is all about. And and the roses actually definitely honor the spirit of Aphrodite as well, because roses are pink. Usually. <laughs> I mean, I, I love yeah, some of yeah. some of them are red, but a lot of them are pink. Um yeah, and I would just say, like, a quick reminder, we covered this in our rose episode, but, like, don't use grocery store roses for this, because those things are covered in all sorts of pesticides and stuff. Like, get some, like, organic roses or go buy yourself some, like, nice organic rose petals. Just, like, please don't soak pesticides in water and spray it on your face. Yeah, like, if you would if you would drink it as a tea, that's the one to use. Yeah, exactly. That's that's perfect. Um. So. And I would say you might even, if you were straining it, maybe you have a little bit left over in your jar that's still got the petals in it. I think if you put that out as an offering on your altar for a day, that would be a nice offering, like a little fresh rose water. Oh, yeah, Uh, I love that. But I mean, you know, who am I to tell a grown witch what to do? That's just a suggestion. Okay. Uh, Which brings me to another hot little suggestion that I saw and really enjoyed, which is making a sigil. Uh, And so I I had kind of suggested one, which is, I am as beautiful and radiant as the sun. Isn't that nice? Gorgeous. Uh, And sigilizing it, which is, I don't know if that's a word, but we're sigilize it. It is now. Uh, And gently carving your new beauty sigil into your fresh things of like foundation or blush with a sanitized paperclip or tack. Uh, but you know, cause it's like, you know, when you get a fresh thing of makeup, like you could scratch a little sigil in there. Oh and yeah. Put, and yeah. put a little blessing on it and then put it on in your magic mirror and be I, be- beautiful and gorgeous. I'm down. I'm like, I want to do that to my bronzer when I, I'm like almost out of bronzer. So it's about time for me to re-up. And I'm definitely going to do the sigil in that because it is such a good idea. I mean, you know, it's like beauty magic, right? You know, uh, and but I do feel like like we're covering so much today. So that's really all I have. But I do think that this is something that we could maybe explore more of later on, because I think this can be done in cool and healthy ways, you know? yeah. There's like there's like good beauty magic out there and there's bad beauty magic out there which is my next awkward pivot of the episode into I, I thought that was good. I actually <laughs> I'm like that was an A++ transition until you called out that it was a transition. <laughs> um but I loved it. 
So, but no, we got, so we have a, this week's questionable witchy practices, uh, which is weight loss magic. So full stop, uh, record, like, like record scratch noise, right? right? <laughs> that was uh, horrible. <laughs> I, you, you, you know, um, we really need like a sound editor who can put like fun noises in. I us. know, right? We're accepting volunteers. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so for this week's QWP, I am keeping it short and sweet but while digging for beauty magic ideas for you guys i came across a lot of spells centered around weight loss and tbh as someone who used to have an eating disorder and who still struggles with a fair bit of body dysmorphia uh, all i can say is a huge fuck off and fuck you to which is who try to hack it with this kind of thing, I would say it's shitty. It is hacky. Uh, and I, I I hope you're offended by me calling you a hack. Uh, because you because, yeah. because you are hacky, if that's the kind of thing you're putting out in the world. It's just cruel. And it's like, you know, witchcraft is all about like empowering the self. And this idea of like the the idea that your body needs to be smaller to be worthy or this like concept that like, weight loss is somehow like inherently like a positive thing it's just like no that is like so the antithesis i feel like of being a witch uh, very much so and, and i do feel like it's predatory which is like one of oh, my yeah. which is always like my big buzzword when it comes to a qwp i'm like predatory witchcraft practices i'm like yeah, especially for like young teen witches and stuff mm-hmm. on the internet. Like, I also am always in recovery from an eating disorder because, you know, the body dysmorphia and things like that last forever. And it's like, I remember how much fucking magazines fucked me up. I can't imagine if I was like a little baby witch finding all these like weight loss magical tips. Like, oh, right. And I, I think it's also, you know, it's like overcharging essential oils like aimed at these kind of desperate people who are having yeah. this this internal struggle and you know it's like you said as which is it's our job to lift each other up not take advantage of each other so anytime i see this kind of bad behavior i really just have to say shame shame yeah. on you fucking shame bell y'all shame shame <laughs> shame <laughs> dong <laughs> uh, so that's yeah but that's that's really uh kind of kind of it uh so so con- i'm so excited for this okay this is kind of like the meaty the meaty nougaty cent- meaty slash nougaty center oh nougat of the episode which was uh kind of themed around shape-shifting so i thought it would be good since we decided to do a deity profile on Loki. Also, I mean, the show, I haven't seen it yet, but everyone's raving about it. So, yeah, you know, I haven't seen it either, but like, I've let's, heard good things. Like, <laughs> let's cash in on some pop culture points, though. Also, I if, genuinely didn't even think about that. That's awesome. <laughs> also, you know, it's like if y'all watch the show and it's good, you should let us know because I do have Disney Plus and lots of free time so yeah dude i'm always <laughs> down for wrecks on like stuff that people are watching that you love right let a girl know yeah we love tv yeah. uh but okay but I, I thought it would be kind of uh like a like a th- theme a thematic take to focus less on like 
the stories about like Loki killing Balder, which we actually covered a bit in a previous episode, or like his imprisonment tied to a rock under a hissing and dripping venomous snake that his wife has to keep a, holding a bowl under so the venom doesn't drip in his mouth. And when she has to go dump the venom out, it drips. You know, the few drops have him writhing in agony until she comes back. Uh, or, you know, even his role in escaping what is supposed to be a permanent imprisonment uh, to play his role in Ragnarok. And, well, I guess, you know, it's permanent if you can only get out at the end of the world. Semi-permanent. But uh, I, I just kind of, like, dig down on, like, the many forms of Loki. So kind of to start with, even though Loki is considered part of the Aenir and regularly takes part in the legends of Odin and Thor, he was born of a giant and is technically not one of the gods of Valhalla, uh, which gives him this cool like outsider-insider combo, which I do think is very relatable. Um, you know, he's kind of the outsider that's made it all the way to the top. I mean, and doesn't that just scream leo energy it really does it really does uh but i mean you know he's a trickster so we don't want to say that leos necessarily fall into that category all uh, the time <laughs> uh, love leos but as well as being a known shapeshifter himself he has all these kids that are all in different forms so of course Hell is kind of the more normal one. Uh, so she's the goddess of death and uh, is like half giant troll. So like nothing super exciting there, though, because she's more or less human looking. Uh, I mean, you know, I supposedly the gods are giant in and of themselves. That's why they can breed with the giants, but uh, more or less human looking. Um, but by the same giant troll and her name is Engbroda, by the way. Uh, I love that name. Uh, Loki also sired Finrir, the giant wolf monster, who then goes on to have other giant wolf monster babies, one of which uh, kills Odin during Ragnarok. Whoops. <laughs> Oop, oopsie poopsie. Uh, and the world serpent, which is a giant snake that wraps around the edge of the world. Which uh, is also, like, such horny energy. Very much so. And, again, uh, just a giant snake wrapping around the edge of the world. So, obviously, like, Loki's heritage is all over the place, which is exactly what you would expect from a shapeshifter, right? Um, but those are, like, Loki's official kids, even though I would say Engbroda, not Loki's wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the side piece, but he doesn't have kids with his wife, so she just holds the bowl so he doesn't get venom in his face. <laughs> like uh, you do. So, but one interesting story that I personally love and, like, I think really highlights Loki's weird shape-shifting and gender-shifting powers is the story of the birth of Sleipnir, Odin's eight-legged horse, uh, which actually, uh, the translation of that to I think it's like Danish to fucking German to Dutch is uh, where we get the word nightmare. 
Oh, love that. Which spooky. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's an eight-legged horse that Odin rides through the sky. It's a spider horse. It's a spider horse. It's kind of spooky. But uh, he could write it into people's dreams and, like, kind of incept them. That was, like, one part of Sleepnir's thing, right? He's so fucking creepy. What a creep. Yeah, you know, it's like Pegasus, right? Is, like, the the other main mythical horse. And Pegasus is cool and can fly and... And just pretty chill. Uh, you know, helps out heroes and... Not uh, sneaking into kids' dreams. Not sneaking into kids' dreams. But so Loki, being the shapeshifter, takes the form of a presumably beautiful mare, which is a female horse for all of you non-farm people out there. And uh, Cyrus with the best regular horse in Scandinavia, who is called Svadilfari. So, like, the Miss Scandinavia of horses? Uh, Mr. Scan- Oh, he was Miss Scandinavia. And that's the thing. Because Loki becomes a lady horse. Love it. And fucks the most beautiful stallion in the land. Uh, I mean, if you're gonna fuck a horse, you might as well fuck the hottest one. That's true. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about which horse is the hottest one, though. But apparently me, Loki Me does. neither. But I, yeah, I'm like, if anyone would, right. <laughs> it so would Lo- be Loki. So Loki is a horse girl, literally. Um, but it doesn't just stop there. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Because Loki, the lady horse, gets pregnant. And that is where... We end up with the magical eight-legged nightmare horse Sleepnir, which is badass but very bizarre. Uh, and you know, I, I think it's like I didn't want to talk about Balder. I did not want to talk about Balder because I'm like it's been done. Everyone talks about Balder when they talk about Loki, but even with focusing on shapeshifting, we have to talk about the Balder story. Yeah, I feel like it's like. It's kind of hard to avoid, unfortunately. <laughs> right. You know, like, I, you, you, you can't make a wrong turn when you're doing Loki lore without the Baldi story. Balder, Baldi. Uh, Balder story. I'm like, that's very informal. <laughs> yeah, my good friend Baldi. My good friend Baldi. Um, <laughs> because part of the reason, like, Loki got caught and imprisoned forever under a snake involves another famous story about him and shapeshifting. So, the story goes that after Balder died, which Loki had a pretty major hand in, uh, Loki went to live on top of a mountain in a house with doors facing each of the cardinal directions, you know, north, south, east, and west, so he could constantly keep an eye out for the pursuing gods of Valhalla. So when he wasn't occupied with being Dale Gribble and looking out over the horizon with his binoculars, uh, he would take the form of a salmon and hang out in a nearby river as camouflage. And that's also kind of how he would get a little rest. Because you can't just, you know, hang out with your with your Dale Gribble binoculars forever. Uh, which was all well and good until basically the whole gang shows up. And they're like thirsty for Loki's blood. And so he did slip into the river quickly enough to evade them. And, you know, he... Could have gotten away, but he'd obviously been eating a lot of fish, 
which kind of clued the other gods in on what he had been up to, or at least where he had been hanging out. Uh, I love that that's the giveaway. Right, right, right. So, so they fashion a magical fishing net, as one does when you're catching a shape-shifting god in the form of a fish. And uh, they did have a, they had a really hard time of it. So uh, Loki is a known trickster and was said to have the greatest wit of all the Norse pantheon. So it's really not surprising that it did take them several attempts to catch Salmon Loki and finally imprison him forever in a cave. Uh, but what it really took in the end was brute force because the only way they caught him was by Thor just kind of catching Loki midair while he's like trying to escape by jumping over a rapid to go further down the river. And, you know, Thor just, Thor just kind of caught him, you know, gotcha, gotcha, bitch. So they didn't even need the magical fishing net, by the way. Uh, but that's not the only times Loki was known to shapeshift. Uh, he also apparently took the form of a fly to play the role of spy in some of his legends which very creepy you know it's like they talk about being a fly on the wall and it's like you know to to gather important information and 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 help the gods out like sure but i feel like loki's kind of a creeper so i feel like loki and fly form is like not good vibes yeah i don't love that uh so you know kind of makes me second guess house flies uh but also, so one of his go-to, like, incognito shapes, and I, I think this is funny because it's kind of like a, like a commentary on society, but he would be this old beggar woman, because old women are invisible to society, which, ah, uh, social commentary, right? Uh, but it, it's like he can slip through the cracks in a pinch, because no one's going to beat up an old lady. Uh and, you know, uh, apparently that's how he would get out of a tight spot a lot, would be to, like, shapeshift into an old lady and, like, slip out. Um, so one thing I, I, kind of rounding it out, though, you know, I, I feel like Loki and shapeshifting seems very cool. And I'll talk about this, like, shapeshifting power. You might even have sympathy for Loki as being this outsider who has risen to the ranks and become basically one of the gods, but he is a trickster. So I would say I don't recommend working with Loki as like a personal god unless you've done research into what trickster gods are all about. Uh, and he clearly exhibited malicious intent during the whole Balder thing. And so, like, much like genies in sort of Near Eastern mythology, he kind of twists the words of his deals to fuck people over on the regular. So, and I think there's maybe a lesson in that. So, like, shapeshifting might let you get by in life and even, like, rise the social ranks, but being set in your moral standing and knowing who you are used to be part of the moral high ground. So. I think these stories, like these surrounding Loki, were meant to highlight that and not encourage people to work with him. And uh, sort of another note that I, I kind of tacked on to the end here is that unlike literally all of the other gods of Valhalla that are mentioned in the poetic and prose eddas, 
there is no evidence whatsoever of there even being a cult to Loki. So there's no Loki holiday. There's no towns named after Loki. Uh, nothing. And these were the original people where Loki was part of their pantheon. So I would say beware, baby witches, because Loki is not one to fuck with. Yeah. If like the original people that were worshipping these deities didn't fucks, you know. You, maybe maybe they knew more than you do. <laughs> right. Maybe. Well, <laughs> probably that brings us to my segment um so since today we covered loki and we've been talking about shape-shifting i wanted to discuss one of my favorite magical herbs like it's seriously up there i think yarrow really is such a good staple for any witch who practices any kind of plant magic and i hope that you'll add it to your cupboard if you don't already have it so it is achillea millifolium And that is a native North American plant. It's popular with pollinators and it is super easy to care for. So it's a great addition to anyone's garden, especially if you need some no uh, no fuss plants. And it is in the Asteraceae family. So, you know, it's easy to take care of because, you know, remember Asteraceae's things like our daisies and our marigolds, you know, very easy plants. So Yarrow, though, also has a very long history with human beings, and they've found evidence actually that Neanderthals were using yarrow medicinally up to 60,000 years ago. They've uncovered Neanderthal um, bodies and stuff and found like yarrow remnants in the teeth. Like it's really, really crazy. And I do love when plants have this kind of like ancient lineage about them because part of like my practice as a green witch is getting to know and like feel the spirit of plants and plants like yarrow they just like feel old if you know what i mean like i think everyone next time you're you're you have some yarrow pick it up feel it get the vibe i think you'll see what i mean so the name achillea millifolium though i think maybe not super surprisingly it comes from achilles that achillea uh, and it was it was named that because it was said that achilles would use this herbs like wound staunching powers on the battlefield because it can like stop bleeding so it's like a big warrior herb as well but it's funny because they're also just such pretty plants right so they have these wispy very feather-like foliage that kind of looks like like wild carrots you know that beautiful almost fern like soft foliage and it has la- uh, lacinate oh my god <laughs> lacinate <laughs> what was that um it has laciniate leaves too with thin divided lobes and this is where one of the other common names come from um things like milfoy or thousand leaf and laciniate here is just referring to leaves that kind of have like fringe edges that cut in deeper so you can think of like marijuana leaves are the easiest example when i'm talking about laciniate leaves and the basil leaves for these plants are sometimes pretty big and they're on these like really long petioles and they initially kind of grow into a rosette and basil leaves are the leaves that you find at like the base of the plant they kind of protect the bottom of the plant and its root system But when this plant comes into flower, the stem leaves actually become like shorter and alternately spaced over time. And it's a long bloomer. It'll bloom starting in June, usually through like early fall. Some places can even have it like flowering in October, depending on your climate. And its flowering stems get to be between two and three feet tall on on average. 
So they do look initially like they have an umble flower structure. Um, we talked about it a little bit when we covered Meadowsweet, but if you get up close under this and you look from below the flower head, you can actually see that there are a bunch of flower stalks condensed together near the top of the stem. So they're not umble because they're not all originating from a single point on the stem. Um, basically, the, the best way I think to describe it is when you look at a yarrow flower, it kind of looks like a bunch of small bouquets all attached to the top of a big stem. So that's kind of what I'm getting at. And they have creamy, like white ray florets that frame this like orange or yellowy tinted uh, central disc florets. And you'll usually find like five or six florets on each individual flower head. Like they're very flowery when they're actually in bloom. And Apparently, there are also like pink and purple strains of yarrow. I've always seen like the yellow and the cream. So I'm super excited. And what has like sexier energy, Nick, than like a pink yarrow? Because yarrow is great in love magic. Um, So these are really, really easy spreaders, though. So every year you'll see new growth emerging from creeping rhizomes. So that's that's. The rhizome spread is the thing that you see a lot with things like mint or even on a horrible level, um, things like bamboo. It kind of spreads through underground rhizomes, which is how this plant, number one, it's really easy because it it doesn't need a lot of care, but it also can become weedy. So be careful because it can start pushing other stuff out. So when you see these things that like go out with... um, rhizome spreading you'll also tend to see them naturally occurring in kind of like dense mats so that's something else just to keep in mind you might need to thin it over time anyway um and it does have a pretty distinct medicinal scent on the plant um i personally find it delightful but i know that it's it is kind of a medicinal smell and it's divisive so you know if you're sharing a garden with someone like a roommate or a partner like it might be polite of you to check in with them before you plant out like half of the bed with this stuff because not everyone appreciates the smell. <laughs> um, so if you want to grow it, which I think you should, you'll most often see it propagated by root division because again, it does have those like rhizomes that it sends out. So it's usually actually pretty easy to find starts if you have a good like, you know, a plant shop or nursery where you get herbs near you. But you can also totally grow them from seed And if you're going to grow them from seed, you're going to want to start that indoors about like six weeks before your last frost date, because it takes them like two or three weeks to germinate. And then, you know, they'll be big enough by the time it's warmed up outside for you to start doing like the hardening off process. But when you're planting these, you are going to want to leave like one to two feet between the plants, because remember the way they spread underground, you're going to want a little bit of breathing room between them. And once it's... um, Leave room for Jesus, okay? (laughs) Right, leave room for Jesus. And this is a plant that needs full sun, so it needs at least six hours of direct light per day. Otherwise, you're going to have like leggy, scraggly, ugly plants. They're just not going to thrive. They really do need direct sunlight. So like so many plants, they like well-drained soil. You also don't want something too nutrient-dense here. Um, These are really good for like that weird area of your yard where like the soil sucks and you can't get the grass to grow or whatever. Because like borage, these do really well in like kind of shitty soil. Because if the soil is too nutrient-dense, you might end up having to like stake the flower because it could shoot up too fast. And that's actually something you do have to (laughs) 
think about too. So be warned. Um, but again, just a reminder, we talked about it earlier, it can get very weed like. So if it's in the right conditions, that thing's going to like try and take over, keep an eye on it. But it really doesn't need much in the way of maintenance. I mean, I would maybe thin it out if things get to be a little bit too dense, especially because in the garden, then that can kind of be a harbor for like pests, which we don't want to deal with. But you know, just water it when things have been dry for a bit. It doesn't like soggy soil. So you really don't have to be constantly watering it. Just, you know, if it's been really hot for a couple of days, give it a little drink. It's not super cumbersome altogether, but it does have a few pests that you'll want to keep an eye out for. So most commonly you'll see like botrytis mold or powdery mildew. And those both kind of look like a white powdery covering on the leaves. And these can both actually be treated with a milk and water spray. We have a reel where I talk about that on the Wands and Fronds uh, Instagram feed. So that's something you can use and it helps like kill off that fungus. Um, and they also occasionally get spittle bugs, but I, I don't think they've really been a huge problem in recent years. I feel like army worms are the thing most people are dealing with. And you these know, aren't like, I haven't seen a spittle bug in a while. Yeah. They're not. I, I haven't seen them around either, but I feel like that means we're going to be <laughs> do a bad season of them. Well, you say that, but I read this thing recently. Oh my God. Little side rabbit hole time, you guys. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I read this thing that in certain parts of Texas, the insect population and biodiversity, well, not the population, like the individuals are probably about the same, but like the diversity of insects has gone down 75%. Dude, I would believe it. Honestly, with climate change, like. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And also, so kind of the thing is, is someone was saying that you used to drive from Austin to Houston and your, your car would get covered in bugs. Yeah. And uh, they, the reason they wanted to look into it was that they had driven to Houston and didn't have a single dead bug on their car. And they were like, what's going on? And then they found like an entomologist uh, through, I mean, this is obviously a journalist. So you can just talk to an entomologist if you're a journalist. And they were I mean, like, yeah. I feel like anyone could probably just call an entomologist also. But. I, feel like, I feel like they're probably, I mean, I know someone who took a bunch of biology classes and like did the, the, the golden cheeked warbler uh, senses, basically. Uh, and yeah, they're like, biologists are cool people. But anyway, yeah. long story short, maybe spittle bugs are just like. I mean, maybe in your part of the country, for <laughs> sure. Um we haven't lost quite as much bug diversity, I don't think, on the West Coast yet. No, no, no. I mean, well, Texas has very lax rules about pesticides and... Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, like, we're very much in the pocket of Monsanto, the Monsanto yeah. Corporation. <laughs> Ugh, that's a whole other topic. So, leaving that one, because Monsanto makes me sad, and I don't want to be sad tonight. No, Let's no, talk no. about... Let's talk about the medicinal uses of yarrow. So here's your weekly reminder that I am not a doctor. Nick is not a doctor. This does not constitute medical advice. Um, another reminder, this plant is in the Asteraceae family. So if you are allergic to other members of this family, please proceed extra cautiously. So I already told you guys yarrow got its name from its use on the battlefield by Achilles, and that is because it's able to staunch the flow of blood. So basically the way this works is it helps restore homeostasis to your circulatory system. Like it helps renormalize blood pressure throughout the body so you don't like shoot all your blood out into the world, right? Like 
when Very your blood cool. pressure's yeah, when your blood pressure's thrown off, you're gonna spurt a bit more when you get wounded. Um, it's also a great disinfectant. So in addition to stopping the bleeding, it can also help keep the wound from getting infected. Like pretty sweet, right? And with that said, a lot of folks actually recommend this for something to like keep in your little like herbal first aid kit. It's also, Nick, very good at reducing fever and clearing sinuses. Wow. Uh, Right. So clearly it has some super badass anti-inflammatory properties, which we all love in herbal medicine, especially. Um, But yarrow... Yarrow has so many other uses. It's it's like if you have a toothache, you can chew on a piece of it and it'll help dull the ache. You can rub the leaves on your temples if you have a headache. And people have even used it for like hemorrhoids and varicose veins for relief from that. So like it's it's such a cool medicinal herb and it has strengthening uh, strengthening effects on the blood vessels. So it can be a great tonic for those of us who like bruise super easily. Hi, raising my hand, like willow stands on my lap all the time. And so my legs are always covered in bruises. Oh my God. No, no, no. It's like, we have these little prep tables at work and uh, it's, they're like the same counter as the counters at a piecery were as well. And it's like just bumping into the, the little corner of the counter. I always have these fucking bruises from like barely bumping into things. Yeah. So maybe some yarrow. Um, And the really good news here is that yarrow is actually a super easy herb to preserve too. Unlike our dear friend, lemon balm, we always have to talk about her. And yarrow is easy to use in like oils, tinctures, vinegars, teas, and glycerates. Like you can basically do pretty much any preparation of it. And you can also like make a great little compress from it just using like warm water or like say you're out on a hike and you like fall and scrape your knee. If you don't have like warm water around, you can just like chew on the leaves and then like put it on the scrape. So you just dry it out when you harvest it by turning it upside down, keep it away from sunlight and moisture for a few days, and then it'll be nice and like dried. And then you can use it for infusions into oils. Um, Because just like, I don't know if we've talked about this, but if you're doing an oil infusion, you really do want to be using a dried herb because the if it still has a lot of water in it, like if it's too fresh, you can actually introduce bacteria into the oil infusion. So just making that little like herbalism note. Um, but the cool thing about this too, is it also revives in steam in just a few seconds. So if you want it to be like softer and more pliable, it actually kind of rehydrates easily too. Like it's super versatile. So you can use an equal weight of like plant to liquid to make a tincture. And there are also some really, really solid essential oils from Yarrow. So lots of great ways to use it. But now let's talk about magic, because this is a magic podcast. Oh my god, this is a magic podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So Yarrow, I mentioned at the top of the show, has in historical times been referred to as the witch's herb, which honestly, I super love. Nick, this one goes out to you because it is associated with Aries. Love. Right? We don't get them a lot. So I was really happy to see that. Well, I I, I think it's because we're always trying to fucking fight people. Right. Right. <laughs> You're too busy. You're too busy to be plants. Um, the, it's also associated with the element water, and it is considered a feminine herb. And it's also, Nick, you didn't know this, but associated with Aphrodite. Oh, um, shit. Right? Uh, Hermes, the horned god, and the crystals, clear quartz, tiger's eye, and lapis lazuli. And I know we didn't mention it, but I also think lapis lazuli is like an amazing crystal choice for like 
an Aphrodite Venusian area. Like just that. Like, like kind of representing the sea because Aphrodite comes from like the beautiful sort of tropical sea. Yes. Yeah. Well, also I think the Egyptians, didn't they used to use ground lapis lazuli as makeup? Uh, I still, I I still do that. It's very expensive. (laughs) So yeah, anyway, um, but as an herb for the warrior, which obviously this is, it has like strong protective properties and it could definitely be included in an under the doormat blend. And it's the flowers I think are so beautiful. So I also think if, if we have like crafty witches casting like one of the dried flowers and some resin to make like really beautiful earrings or a necklace, I think could be a cool way to incorporate a bit of like a bit of craft into making an amulet for yourself. It's also great for setting magical boundaries. So if you're in a coven or you work with other witches, or if you're an empath that spends time with magical people, this can be a really like useful ally to help you set magical boundaries to keep other people's magic from like leeching into yours. It's historically been used in love and fertility magics in Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. He actually references a practice of using yarrow in like wedding decorations. Oh, love that. Right. And it can also be used to enhance psychic powers. So drinking a tea or using a compress on your closed eyes can help you see more clearly. Or, you know, if you're making a sleep sachet for psychic dreams, throw some yarrow in it. So I I, I, lo- I love that we're like the sleep sachet lemon balm doormat magic podcast. I feel like it, we're just such hedge witches <laughs> deep down. Um, <laughs> and so I, I know I mentioned shape shifting, right, though? And I promise you guys, I didn't like have a stroke. I meant to say that I didn't forget about it. So Harold Roth wrote this cool book called The Witching Herbs, and he explains a bit about how the plant itself is polymorphic. And I just want to like quote him because it's easier. So Achillea lanulosa and Achillea millifolium have different numbers of chromosomes and a different profile of volatile chemicals, depending on the locale where it grows. So from plant to plant, one yarrow can have not only a different scent, but also different medicinal and magical capabilities. Oh, that is cool. Right. So this is a plant, though, like, and it makes sense when you think about the magic there, too, right? Because it's a plant that's like both energetically linked to war and love. And then you look at its medicinal properties. It's like you can use it on the battlefield, but people also have said it's like a good herb for lifting the emotions, which I didn't really go into, but it it has been used for like helping with people that are going through bouts of depression, like using it as like an assist for your other mundane medications. So it's got that like duality in it. And I just, I love that with Yarrow, things are like not always what they seem. Like, that's how I feel with this plant. And one of the common names for it has also historically been wolf's tail. And through my research, there's a bit of conflicting information from historians um, about whether or not it was used to ward off werewolves or to help you transform into one. So, you know, if you use it and become a werewolf, let me know. Hasn't happened to me yet. Um, but yeah, so that's yarrow. I just, I love this herb and I think it's so good to have like in your cabinet because it has so many versatile uses. And I, I like herbs like that, that can really sort of be a little bit of everything, depending on what you need. I think like yarrow, rosemary, lavender, I think if you were going to just have like 
three herbs between the three of those, or even sub out lavender for calendula. And you basically could cover almost any type of magic you would be wanting to do. Right. So, you know, my kind of question, just kind of coming up on the end here, is that you said yarrow has a, a very medicinal smell. And so I'm actually not familiar with yarrow. I've never seen it in person, or I probably have and didn't recognize it. So when you say medicinal, like I always think of Jägermeister or like chartreuse. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is like, it's kind of like a spicy smell, but it kind of has almost like an oregano slant on it. Okay. If that makes sense. Because it does have that kind of like, it, it kind of, some people think it smells like chrysanthemums is one that you'll kind of see it referred to as well, sometimes. And I, I love chrysanthemum tea. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really, it, it kind of depends, I think. But yeah, it has that like sweet oregano-y kind of medicinal, like a bit of a licorice edge on it. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, I just I just ask because, you know, it's like since I've been working with food a lot more, I'm like, I... I I get curious when when you say, you know, when you talk about a specific flavor note that's non-specific, like medicinal, where I'm like, what is that? Because I would say, actually, you know what? Let me retract that. I think more than licorice, it's closer to like a pine. Mm. So it's kind of got that like piney edge to it. Like grandpa's pine tar soap. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's got that like piney edge with kind of that oregano-y, chrysanthemum-y, so I, I think I could get how some people might not like it. But That's, that doesn't sound bad to me. I like all those things. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I've heard some people don't. So I don't know. I don't know who those people are. I like the way it smells. But um, just real quick to list my sources, I use permaculture.co.uk, gardeningknowhow.com, commonwealthherbs.com, thepracticalherbalist.com, wiccanow.com, mountainhedgewitch.com, and Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. And then I also quoted back there from... Um, uh, from Harold Roth's The Witching Herbs. So those were my Yarrow sources. Love it. Okay, so I'm actually so excited to be doing this week's Terroscope uh, because it is a doozy, you guys, in like a good way. And it totally ties into my bit about Venus and Aphrodite worship for beauty boosting. So this week's horoscope is for none other than Venus's own babies, the Tauruses. Give it up! Woo! And this week I drew the star in the upright position for you. And the star is naked. Remember I said to put a pin in that earlier about the naked lady? Yeah, you did. You told us to remember. I did. And how... You know, Aphrodite came out of the sea. Naked. Naked and beautiful. And that is the star energy. Like naked, beautiful, pure. Pure in her nudity. You know, it's not sexual. It's, I mean, it's maybe a little sexual, but but she's owning it. She's beautiful. It's, you know, consensual. Uh, So I think when we draw the star, I think it's important to note that the star is the card immediately following the tower. So to me, that says that you Taurus guys out there have maybe gone through a tower moment recently, and you're you're on the other side. So good for you. And you you know you're kind of naked. You're frolicking in a stream, and you're 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 reveling in 
this newfound sense of self because you know when you go through these tower moments that's that's when you do find yourself like what is what what are your what are your morals what are your beliefs everything that does not serve you has fallen by the wayside because you've been through this intense period of pressure and yeah you I were love this card <laughs> and you and you were just you like yeah pure bright shiny new nude rollicking in a stream you uh and kind of the idea here too is that you can literally go anywhere from where you're at because this also signifies a fresh start for y'all so uh let me be the first to congratulate you on making it through your tower moment uh enjoy your star moment um and i think you know what an appropriate card to get during leo season two but it's like you guys are the stars right now uh all all you taurus babies you're a star you've made it you made it to the other side and it's it's always just really pleasing to be able to deliver good news i love it i i just love this card so much because this is it is my one of my favorite cards and it's one of my soul cards. And anytime I see it come up for people, it just like makes my heart happy because it is like, it's very much this energy of like everything has been stripped away. And so you're like, you're at your purest you, but at the same time, it's also like this reminder that your purest you is like a connection to all of like the brilliant magic in the universe. Like, yeah, it's uh, a, ble- it's a blessing from the universe. It is. It's such like a blessing, a green light, like things are good. Taurus babies. I hope you're feeling that energy because it is it is very much my favorite tarot card. Well, it's like so many people go through tower moments and then they don't get to have that star moment to follow it up. Yeah. It's and, like And so you guys got to do both. You yeah, know? I love that. And and who deserves it more than the Taurus? I think no one. And you know, I think of the Taurus that we know, Ben. Yeah, who, who has been, you know, kind of part of the backbone of Wands and Friends podcast by, you know, helping us out with the sound. Yeah. Who is moving across the country soon, is like kind of touring around in his van. It's very cool. It's very like kind of throwing off the shackles kind of a vibe. Yeah, and, I love that. Um, You know, like I was thinking about Ben when I found out that this reading was for Torres. Like, so yeah. this one's for you, Ben. Uh, I love that. And who, who like, again, ev- anyone who knows a Taurus, they're usually just like the people who deserve a blessing from the universe. The chillest fucking people. I people fucking don't love like, them. People don't like Tauruses, but I would also say that like so many people in my family either are Tauruses or have Taurus personal placement. So I, I love, I love the Taurus. My yeah. progress chart is like in the middle of Taurus this year. My progress chart is in Libra, and I also feel that. Like we are, we are going through such a Venus year. Oh, you the and, Venusian you, energy. You and I are are just, you know, we're riding that Venus energy. So um, I feel it. I feel it. We're hot. We're, we're young. Yeah. For now, I'm I'm almost not young anymore. I've got 15 you, days. Yeah, 15 days until she turns 22. Y'all 22. write that down. That's the official number. So, right, I'll be 22 August 25th, which I love that the 25 like that it adds up to seven. You know, um, you know Bailey's birthday is my Bailey, my roommate. His birthday is the 26th, I believe. 
I love that. You know, Eric's like one of Eric's best friends, Sean Coster's birthday is on August 25th. We have the exact same birthday, exact same year, just born in different parts of the country. And his mother's, uh, well, no, Eric's mother. So their mother's birthday is August 24th. And my stepfather's birthday is August 24th. It's a very crowded few days. You know, and it's like, yeah, uh, I we love an August Virgo. We do love an August Virgo. But yeah, I'm so excited. I'm going to be 30. So it's a big one. So next week is going to be a minus teaser for next week. 30 minus 8 is 22. <laughs> so. so next week, you guys can look forward to kind of a, a Shannon themed episode. But we're going to be talking about some Celtic goddesses and we're gonna be talking about some cool like Hermione Granger level magical tips from Nicholas I think it's gonna be so much fun so I hope you guys come back next week and if you are new here welcome and if you're one of our fans that's been around for a long time it feels so weird to call you guys fans if you're one of our friends that's been here for a long time Thank you for coming back. If you guys have some time, it would be super awesome if you would log into Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice and leave a review. Um, A five-star rating would be nice, but reviews really help. Uh, Also, just downloading the episode is great. You know, we love to hear from you guys. So you can always reach out to us via email at that's wandsandfranzpod at gmail.com. And you can message us on Instagram. We're pretty active on Instagram, I would say. Yeah. Um, and you know, Wands and Franz Pod. I, I think uh, I, I speak for both of us when I say that Aphrodite and Venus aside, we also take offerings of jewelry and fresh flowers. So, right. Anybody who wants to send us um, a like beautiful bowl full of rose, fresh rose water down 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 um but yeah this i just i don't know i feel like this week i have been very much overflowing with gratitude for the people that are in our wands and fronds community you guys just mean so much it's always so nice to like get a message on instagram too and like when when someone has obviously listened to not just listen to the episode but listen to the whole episode and you're like wow y'all really y'all really take the time and y'all like it. And uh, it's it, it warms my cold, dead heart. Dude, same. Honestly, like you guys are just the best. And to all of all of you wonderful bitches out there. To all of you shape shifting bitches. You shape shifty witch bitches. Blessed be bitches. Blessed be bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye now. I I, lo- I love that we're like the sleep sachet lemon balm doormat magic podcast.